Are you a current or future physician assistant wanting to learn more about finances? Then join me on this journey to become a PA the FI way. Hi, my name is Kat and I'm a practicing certified physician assistant who will be your host. It took me five years after I started practicing medicine as a PA to thoroughly dive into my personal finances after I discovered the concept of financial independence. I want to use what I have learned to help you avoid some of the financial mistakes that I have made while sharing some of the financial wins that I have had along the way. Join me as we discuss financial strategies to guide you to becoming a physician assistant on the way to financial independence. Welcome back to the PA the FI Way podcast. I'm your host, Kat, and I wanted to thank you for joining me on the show today to take a listen how you can be a PA on your way to financial independence. I think that the topic today is a fun and somewhat lighthearted topic, and I'm optimistic that it can help some of the listeners out there get a little bit creative with their thinking about how to cut costs while at the same time really considering where to spend your hard-earned money on on those things that you value. So I'm going to be talking about how you and your future spouse can have savings when it comes to getting married and your wedding day. Although I will include a lot of different examples and details, please keep in mind that certainly this conversation and list is not all-inclusive as to how you can save money for your wedding. I also would like to note that everyone's style, and again, what they value in life, but also different cultures view weddings completely differently than others. So some couples out there may be more laid back, more casual in general, while others may be more elegant or sophisticated, so to speak, for some adjectives. Well, even others may have cultures that it's very traditional to spend lavishly on weddings because they're a huge deal in the cultures that people come from. So certainly not all of these considerations or suggestions will be applicable to every single person listening to this episode. But I hope that you can glean some information and just be thoughtful and mindful on your spending when it comes to your wedding. It's that time of year where it is wedding season, so I think that a lot of people tend to get married in the spring and in the summer, so I think that this information can be timely for a lot of people out there. So let's first talk about a step before the actual wedding actually occurs, and that would be let's talk about engagement rings when a couple gets engaged. So as you all know, a traditional diamond engagement ring is very standard for the American culture, and it can be viewed as a symbol of love and commitment and things like that. So I feel as though whoever purchases the engagement ring can feel as though they have a lot of pressure to demonstrate their love and infection through a ring that might have a large center stone or is incredibly sparkly and elaborate and ultimately very costly and expensive. So I'll briefly cover a few ways about how you can save on engagement ring costs. First, I would encourage that you as a couple discuss this 
So some of you may feel awkward discussing an engagement ring, but at the same time, it's ideal to know what her thoughts are about the engagement ring going forward because she will be the one that has to wear it, right? So I think that a very first good question would be, do you want a diamond engagement ring? And if the answer is yes, there's a few ways to save on the cost of a diamond engagement ring. One is that if you select a center diamond that isn't a rounded carat number, it can be cheaper than a full carat or 1.0 carat, so to speak. Additionally, sometimes there can be different flaws in the diamond that you can't see with the naked eye, but those flaws lessen the total cost or value of the diamond. You could also consider using a diamond engagement ring that is a family heirloom or a gift from a family member that has been passed down through the generations. Or you could even consider getting a diamond engagement ring used and shop for a vintage or antique look. And sometimes you can find them out there that are really cool and unique looking, even though you aren't technically the first person to own this piece of jewelry you can ask yourself, well, does that really matter going forward? And maybe you enjoy the character a little bit more so anyway. I have also read that Costco can actually be good places to look for diamond engagement rings, interestingly enough. So that's something to consider as well. Another option for a diamond engagement ring is consider a lab-grown diamond. It's still a diamond, but as the name implies, it was grown in a lab versus found out in nature. I'm not going to get into the ethical debates about the diamond industry by any means on this episode, but some people prefer diamond rings that have the stone that was grown in the lab instead. So let's say that the future bride does not exactly care if her ring is a diamond, or perhaps she's a little bit more unique in general and would prefer a non-traditional stone anyway because she doesn't want to be like everyone else, right? Again, I encourage that you have this discussion with her and your future spouse because she may have this preference and you may not know it unless you discuss it with her. So if that were the case, there are many gemstones out there that are absolutely beautiful in their cut, their color. They can be very brilliant with their sparkling colors and they can just be a little bit more fun or a little bit more unique than a regular diamond engagement ring if that's their preference. A lot of gemstones that are fun colors can be a whole lot more affordable than diamond engagement rings, and you can often get quite a bit larger of a stone than regular diamonds. Additionally, there is a diamond alternative stone that I wasn't aware of several years ago when we got engaged, and it's called moissanite. And moissanite looks to be a pretty popular diamond alternative in the financial independence community or the FI community because moissanite can look super similar to diamonds. So some people will get a moissanite stone that is very beautiful and it's a larger cut and people can't really tell the difference. So they can get what looks to be more value for their money. So when the wedding rolls around, Sometimes the bride will have a wedding ring in addition to her engagement ring. And the wedding ring itself can be pretty pricey depending upon, 
again, what types of stones are used and the size of them. Some engagement rings lend their style to potentially include two wedding bands that the engagement ring sort of sits between. So that could be, you know, pretty expensive because you have two rows of diamonds or whatever other stone as well. So that's something to be mindful of. Some brides will elect not to have a wedding band too. They'll just use their engagement ring. So let's talk about wedding bands for males or the groom. Often those are way more affordable than the female rings traditionally because they are usually made out of metal. Sometimes they're made out of even fancy wood. Some wedding bands that grooms will wear will have diamonds in them. It just kind of depends upon, again, his style and if he's more blingy or more flashy, so to speak. So my husband had a wedding band that was a few hundred dollars that was made out of a metal. I believe it was tungsten, if I remember correctly. And we were ice fishing and he was wearing gloves and he took his gloves off and the rain fell down the fishing hole to the bottom of the lake, unfortunately. So that's how he lost his first wedding band. Then he got a second traditional wedding band and he works outside a lot. So again, he lost this ring that he was wearing. One time he actually found the lost ring and wore it some more, but ultimately he ended up losing a second traditional metal wedding band. So then he switched to those silicone rings. There are various companies out there. We like the groove rings, but there are Kalo or Enso, or you can get really cheap silicone rings on Amazon as well. And he went through at least two, if not three of those that he also lost. So he's gone through at least four or five, quote, wedding bands for him. So now he does not wear a wedding band because it seems a little bit futile at this point. He's not into tattoos, but we have talked about how he could potentially just get a tattoo or something. Those tend to fade and may not look accurate over the years. I don't know. So right now he just looks like he's a single Pringle out there without wearing a wedding band. And I joke with him that I think he likes the attention. The other thing to consider for the male wedding bands is that depending upon their line of work, it can actually be pretty dangerous to wear wedding bands that don't readily break if an accident were to happen and the wedding band were to get caught on something or started to pinch. It could be really dangerous for the finger. So that's also another very valid reason as to why he doesn't wear one. So again, have this discussion and be open and honest with what your preferences are and what you foresee in the future. So next, let's talk about the wedding day. There are many things for a wedding that really, really, really add up over time. And the cost of weddings can just go through the roof. Keep in mind, you can get married for less than $100 if you want to get married at a courthouse, keep it super simple, or you can get married for $100,000 or more if you want every beautiful, lavish thing in the world out there. If you want a really large guest list to be invited. So you can get married for as little or as much as what you want, right? So come up with a budget 
that you guys feel comfortable with spending. And again, have very open communication and dialogue as to what's really important. What are your non-negotiables for your day versus what you really could live without? So I will share some of our experiences and what I have also read about and have seen others do. Again, it's not one size fits all. And please keep in mind that our style was very laid back and casual as well. That may not be your style. You may think that everything we did or picked was completely hideous or just something that you wouldn't do. And I don't take offense to that. Do what you feel would be right for you guys. So the first thing to consider is your venue can be super expensive or, again, very affordable. There are several people at my church that have had their wedding at the church building and then have had the reception in someone's backyard where they have several acres, sort of like a farm area, and it's very pretty setting. But again, it's very basic, right? Others will choose to rent very beautiful venues that are really fun or unique. We had ours at a wedding venue that was on a farm that's kind of a hobby farm. They had strawberry patches and they had a barn there. So we got married outside and then we had the venue inside the barn and that saved on costs where we didn't have to pay for a place for both the ceremony and then the reception as well. So if you can keep them both in one place, that can help save on costs. Some people will choose to do a destination wedding. Now, destination weddings can often be affordable, but they can often be super expensive. It just really depends upon where you pick. Also keep in mind that destination weddings can be fun, but sometimes for your guests, they may be somewhat challenging to get to. Now, again, I recognize that it's your day. And if you absolutely want to be married out of the country or in another state, then go ahead and do that. But I would encourage you not to take offense if some of your friends and family members can't make it because it can be challenging to travel long distances too. So I have heard that some people will get married in national parks and then they'll have a beautiful backdrop for these pictures. Or some people will get married at an all-inclusive resort in Mexico and then they will often just honeymoon there as well. And that can be fairly cost-effective too, depending upon the resort fees and costs overall. So I touched on this a little bit already, but your guest list can certainly make the cost add up. So it can be somewhat of an interesting conversation between you and your future spouse and you and your family members, such as your parents, as to who should be invited and who shouldn't be invited for your wedding. The smaller the guest list, the more cost-effective your wedding is, right? So it can be a little bit tricky to find the right balance between feeling like you're inviting everyone that you want included on your special day, whereas at the same time, not over-inviting every single person that you've ever met throughout your life, right? There were several people that my mom wanted to invite, for an example, and I'm like, mom, I don't even know these people, right? And then she'd say, oh, they probably won't come anyway, but I want to send them an invite just in case they can come. And we had the space that I was like, okay, mom, if these few people are very important to you, sure. 
At the same time, you need to be somewhat cautious of those types of scenarios because that can readily get out of hand if you're having several parents or several family members wanting to do that for people, right? So another big spendy item for weddings is the food and the beverages too. So if you can find a wedding venue that allows you to have any caterer bring in food or often they'll say any licensed caterer. So it can't be someone who, you know, is an excellent cook at their home, but they don't actually have a license. Depending upon your venue, they might be somewhat picky about that. Many venues actually want you to use their caterer and that can be pretty spendy. Again, keep in mind, we were really laid back. So we actually ordered food from a barbecue place and had barbecue pork sandwiches and barbecue chicken, brisket, and the various sides to go with it. And it was served more as a buffet style. So I think that a lot of the guests really enjoyed it because they could pick the different foods and pick how much they wanted to eat of the various options. Going that route for food saved us a ton of money compared to having a plated meal. Additionally, we saved money with our cake. We had a small cake made for just the two of us, and then we got cupcakes from Costco or Sam's Club that the guests had. A lot of people do non-traditional desserts nowadays as well for weddings, so keep in mind you don't need this really beautiful, over-the-top, large, expensive wedding cake for your wedding. Photographers and videographers can certainly be fairly expensive, but I personally feel as though those memories are worth spending some money for. So definitely shop around, talk to friends and family members, see if you can get some referrals or recommendations. Or sometimes you could find local students that are studying photography or videography and try to check out if they have a portfolio with some samples and utilize them for perhaps a more affordable option as well. Speaking of students, some people will consider trying to find students that are studying music for their masters or things like that to play instrumentals for their wedding or for their reception. You could have a playlist for music if you don't want a DJ or band or things like that for music if you want music. And then flowers can be a pretty expensive item as well. One of the best things that we did was instead of ordering bouquets from flower shops, we found that you could order flowers in bulk from Sam's Club or Costco. And we ordered a bunch of different bright colored wildflowers from Sam's Club. And it was somewhere between five to $600 total. And my very creative and fun sister, as well as my really creative and artsy aunt, sort of took charge and assembled these lovely bouquets for myself, my bridesmaids. They assembled centerpieces for the centerpieces as well. I was able to find the certain color of glass vases or glass recycled wine bottles. And then also some of the decor pieces, they put flowers in these antique things that we had, such as antique coffee kettles or things like that that just made it look a little bit more rustic. Again, we were fine with the rustic and casual look. For men, we actually skipped boutonnieres because it's not really my husband's style and that can save a little bit of cost as well. 
Other floral arrangement suggestions is to consider purchasing various greenery. So different looking leaves, ferns, things like that, that add volume and interest to the flower arrangements, but cost a whole lot less than flowers. Also, the different types of flowers can certainly cost a lot more depending upon all the different flower varieties out there, as well as the different colors too. So if there's a certain type of flower you're thinking about and it looks really expensive, consider shopping around for flowers that have the same generalized look, but can be a lot cheaper. Often people will utilize the bouquets or the flowers that were part of the ceremony and repurpose them for the reception as well. Let's talk about wedding dresses and jewelry and the overall look for the wedding day as well. So wedding dresses have such a large range of the cost of them as well. So again, you can spend very little on a wedding dress or you can spend many thousands of dollars on a wedding dress. It's really up to you and your budget. You could consider borrowing or purchasing a used wedding dress already. Interestingly, for wedding jewelry, I found that there are some places that you can rent elaborate, fancy wedding jewelry for instead of having to spend thousands of dollars on a certain set, you can rent jewelry for a few hundred if you want fancy jewelry for your wedding day. Again, you could also consider borrowing or using family heirlooms or hand me downs. For example, my mom had one of my grandma's pearl necklaces that had actually broken several years ago. And my grandma had already passed away by the time my wedding came, but she had this broken pearl necklace sitting there in a box. And we talked about how it'd be pretty cool to have a pearl necklace to go with my lace wedding dress that I picked. And it would be really special to have my grandma's necklace. So we looked around and thought about having it repurposed and reassembled for a necklace. And what we actually ended up doing was finding a local, very creative jewelry maker that was reasonably priced. Unfortunately, I don't remember the exact cost of all of this, but we were able to take those pearls and add some beads that had some crystals on them and make not only a pearl necklace, but also matching pearl earrings that dangled down a bit, as well as a pearl bracelet. So we were able to repurpose this and create this whole set that I wore on my wedding day. And it was super special. And I thought it looked really fun and really pretty too. Going back to the wedding dress, another thing to consider is that many places that you buy your wedding dress from, they will offer to alter or take in or expand your wedding dress there at the shop. Usually that can be pretty costly compared to if you know a really good seamstress that can do that themselves. Now, I recognize that not everyone knows of someone who does that. Additionally, the other accessories for a dress or the wedding day can be really spendy. So think about if you want to spend a ton of money on shoes or not for the sash or the waist part of my wedding dress. I was able to purchase used off of either Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist at the time, 
that again had tons of beading and detail on it that was way more affordable than purchasing it brand new from the wedding shop. Also, veils can be incredibly spendy, so decide if you want a veil or not, and if so, what type of veil. But they can be sometimes as much as some cheaper wedding dresses, which is kind of ridiculous. Again, it depends upon how elaborate they are, but I was actually able to find a veil on Amazon that was like $25, and it had a little bit of crystals or detail at the end as well. It came a little bit wrinkled, but my family and I were able to steam it out and it looked great for incredibly affordable. And I only wore it for the ceremony and then took it off for the reception. So on the other hand, you may be the type of person that wants to have this really long, detailed veil. And again, maybe that's something that is really important to you and you want to spend the money there. The cost of your wedding hairstyle and makeup can add up too. So if you're able to do those things yourself or have a sister or a family member help you with them, that can be great as well. Sometimes the day can be a little bit rushed though. So sometimes it's hard for, you know, someone who's a bridesmaid to be able to get ready for herself, plus also help you with your makeup and hair too. So just keep that in mind. Some other tips could be that you could make your own wedding invites as well as wedding ceremony programs. I made our own wedding programs by taking little bits and pieces of things that I found on Etsy that I found were kind of fun and unique phrases that people used or different designs that way. And then you could also keep in mind whether or not you really want to have a wedding favor or not. And if so, consider something that isn't super costly. Sometimes people will have a photo booth, which we ended up doing and We enjoyed it as well as our guests. That is more expensive, though, than perhaps, say, having a Polaroid camera available for guests to use and get their pictures that way. Also, for some fun or entertainment at the reception, because ours was more laid back or casual, we had different yard games such as Giant Jenga. And then also we even had a campfire where people could make their own s'mores and of course, a coffee bar. Well, those are the ideas that I have for you today. And I recognize that they are not completely all inclusive. And again, I really hope that the main point of this episode is to encourage you to really consider those things in life and for your wedding day that you feel like you really, really want to have versus could probably do without. Weddings are so expensive. And truthfully, whether you're current or future PA listening to this episode, because of the nature of the cost of PA school, your money likely could be used in many, many other places as well. Maybe you have a more affordable wedding and then you put more money towards your student loans, which sounds super boring and not fun. Or maybe you have a very affordable wedding, but then you decide to have a more fancy honeymoon because you value travel and value those types of memories as well. The other thing for your wedding is that the wedding day goes by so fast. Everyone says it, but it is so true. So I really encourage you to ask yourself, is it really worth that much money for the one day? Again, have lots of communication with your future partner and spouse because it is so important that you guys are on the same page, especially with something as important as your wedding. 
I had a lot of fun creating this episode. It had me reminiscing a little bit of our wedding. So I'll probably share a few pictures from our wedding over on Instagram when this episode airs. So you can go over to at PA the FI way if you'd like to take a peek. I'd love to hear if you have any suggestions of how to keep wedding costs low as well. So please share your ideas as well on social media, whether over at Instagram or Facebook. And then I also hope that you all have a wonderful 4th of July weekend coming up here. Many of you will have the day off on Monday, so you'll have a long weekend. So I really hope that you're able to enjoy it with your friends and family. As we are, we're planning on heading up to my husband's family's cabin for the weekend again. Some of his extended family will be in town too, so we're really looking forward to that. And then for those of you that work in specialties of medicine where you don't have the day off, thank you for all you do and for your hard work. I also wanted to announce that I've been in the process of converting my website over to a different platform, so you'll very likely see a new fresh look over at pathefiway.com if you'd like to check it out. I'll have more information there about individual personalized coaching or group coaching if you're interested in either of those, as well as some other informative ways that you can learn more about financial independence as a current or future PA. So thanks for taking a listen, and I'll see you back next week. Thank you for tuning in. And I hope that you decide to continue to join me along this journey of becoming a PA the FI way. Please take a moment to press the subscribe button on the platform that you are listening to this on. But more importantly, consider sharing with another current or future PA that could benefit from the information that we reviewed in this episode. Take care and have a great rest of your day. Until next time.